0: Thank you, Rachel. And the Sermon on the Mount, which is this masterful teaching by Jesus, he is talking to a bunch of people who know a lot about God, but maybe they have not learned what it looks like to trust in God in the ups and the downs of life. If you would, please grab a Bible. And open to Matthew chapter 6 Hopefully you have one of the journal Bibles we've been giving out I'm going to ask you to write some things in there As we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount As we get into Matthew chapter 6 Would you take a moment and read out loud with me Matthew 6 verse 1 It'll be on the screens Let's read it together Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Let's pause right there and look at the text together. A few years ago, I was working at a church in a downtown community, and we had started what was called an overflow homeless shelter. So in the winter months, when there weren't enough beds in the permanent shelters in the city, these churches would work together and open temporary shelters inside of their church buildings. And so for 90 consecutive nights, when it was cold outside, our church used our fellowship hall as a makeshift homeless shelter, and we took in 25 men every single night, and it took 8 to 10 volunteers and food for everybody, and it was a massive undertaking. And, and I was thankful that by the time that um, we had been doing it for years, we had this huge base of dedicated volunteers and leaders who showed up to make it happen, so much so that they didn't really need me anymore. They would say things like, hey, you don't have to come tonight, or you can just go home early. And, uh, and and I, and I was thankful that I didn't have to be at the shelter every single night. But sometimes during the week, I would find myself in conversations, and I'd hear people say things like, "You know, Petey's at the shelter every single night." And who am I to stop a good story? <laughs> I mean, they're, you're having a bad day, and someone's praising, you, praising your praising your work. You're like, "Well, who wants to correct somebody, right?" It was easy just to let it slide sometimes. Now, I sometimes corrected it. Don't judge me. (laughs) I sometimes corrected them, but it's amazing when you feel the desire to be appreciated and praised and known and rewarded that it often causes us to manipulate our behavior and sometimes our words. Jesus says, "'Beware of practicing your righteousness "'in order to be seen.'" Because Jesus knows that it's possible for us to take the desire to be affirmed, to be known, to be appreciated, which is all from God, and to instead misplace it and make it about how we're viewed in the eyes of others. In Jesus's day, there were a handful of practices that were expected of any good, faithful Jewish person to live in relationship with God. There were things like praying and fasting and giving to the poor. You might call it they were practicing their rightness. And so in the journal Bible out beside practicing your righteousness, I want you to write practicing your rightness with God. That there were these expected practices that Jesus is going to address in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount that you would practice your rightness with God by doing these things. And like everything else in the Sermon on the Mount, what we realize is that Jesus isn't going to let us off the hook for just doing the right things, that Jesus has something deeper and better in mind when it comes to the practice of our faith. And many of us may feel like we sometimes kind of, sort of, maybe go through the motions when it comes to Our faith. And so Jesus is speaking to us and speaking to our hearts that He raises the bar. He raises the bar and shows that it's about more than just going through the motions or keeping up appearances or what others think of us when we practice our faith. That that when we practice our rightness with God as, as those who trust in Jesus, that it should be out of a love for God and a desire to grow in relationship. With him, so that we can then trust him in the ups and the downs of life. Let's pick back up in our text in verse 2. Would you read out loud with me verses 2 through 4? Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, in Jesus' day, giving to the needy, Above and beyond a regular tithe was expected as a practice of your rightness with God. But Jesus says, everyone sees you doing it, but you're really just play-acting at it. You're really just pretending. So out beside the word hypocrite in your Bibles, I want you to write the word play-actor, the phrase play-actor. Actor that the Greek word Jesus uses for hypocrite should be translated as a play actor. Jesus is saying you're just playing at your faith. And what he says, and Nate showed this beautifully in the kids' sermon, was if they were going to give to the needy, they would need someone to go, hey, everyone, pay attention. They would play a trumpet. And Jesus is just exaggerating. Our best understanding is that people did not actually do this, but they would need everyone to watch. And then if everyone's watching, maybe, just maybe, they would practice their rightness by giving to the needy. Now, I want to give you a modern example of what that might look like. But to do so, I'm going to need a volunteer. And Ross has, Ingrid's going to come and help me. Everybody give Ingrid a hand for coming up and helping. Ingrid, would you stand on these top steps right here? And I'm going to trip and bring you something. Now, Ingrid, if you would hold this for me, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, there's money in there. Be, be careful. Um, I'm going to show you what a modern example of this might look like using, if you've ever been to a Minnesota Twins game, when, when the home team is at, at bat and the players come up, they play what's called a walk-up song. Right? Some of you actually might know Joe Maurer's walk-up song, which I'm not going to use because it's not safe for church. But I'm going to show you what it might look like to do this using a walk-up song. Now, the key to a walk-up song is the first few seconds have to really have some energy. And there are some walk-up songs that are primarily a throwback, a classic, a song maybe from your childhood that everyone would know. So let's see what that might look like. You're doing great, Ingrid. You're doing great. Wave hey to everybody. All right. So, in some walk-up songs are a little more rock and roll, like they've got some beat to them. Still doing a good job. And then some walk-up songs are a little more poppy. They've got some zip to them. Maybe they're a little more fresh. <laughs> Inger thinks I'm crazy, but... I had someone after the first service give me a million dollar bill, and ask asked me to put it in the plate, so I'm gonna do that. Uh, at first I thought it was a tract he was handing me, but it was a million dollar bill. So, um, What Jesus says is that these people essentially need a walk-up song before they'll give to the poor. And what a walk-up song does is it says, Look at me. I'm about to do something amazing. It gets you pumped up. And it takes the focus off of what you're supposed to be doing and puts it on to you. Can you give me this? And then if you can head back to your seat. Guys, give Ingrid a hand for joining us. Thank you, Ingrid. Great job. I'm watching you, Jim. Jesus says that you took something that was supposed to be about the poor and you made it about yourself. And I know none of us can identify with taking something that was about somebody else and making it about us. But that's what Jesus said they have done when it, can, when it comes to giving to the poor. And Jesus exposes what's really at the root of our hearts. Now this is a fascinating subject to consider at a place like Christ Presbyterian Church, because we have been a church that has been known for being generous towards the needy, both near and far. And I might dare say that we have enjoyed very much having a reputation as a church that is generous towards the needy, near and far. And I don't say that to shame or guilt you, I don't think Jesus says it to shame or guilt you. I think Jesus is always digging at what's really going on deep in our hearts and pushing us to ask the question, are our good deeds really reflecting our love for God, or are they reflecting our love of being praised? Jesus said that their good deeds were supposed to make much of their relationship with God, but instead they were just play-acting and made much of how much they thought of Themselves And Jesus says, the world is not a stage for your glory. And that any time that we find ourselves in the position of doing good deeds for others, we should always examine our hearts. In fact, he goes on to say, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Which sounds pretty hard to pull off. So next week, I don't want to see anybody passing the offering plate behind their back, because if you drop it, it's going to be a mess. What's Jesus saying? He's saying not only should you not worry about what others think about it, you should also hide it from yourself. That you should not worry about what it does in the eyes of others, or even stress over your own control over your spiritual formation, but that you should give because giving is intended to form your soul. That when we practice our rightness with God, we are not proving how good we are. We are not proving ourselves to God. We're not earning anything from God, but it's because giving and praying and fasting are practices that form our souls and our hearts to more deeply depend Upon God. And so giving to the poor is intended to invite us into a different posture towards those who are in need. If you only give because others are watching, what are you going to do when no one's watching? And if the answer is nothing, then who is your giving really all about? And the truth is, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. What God desires is for your heart to be formed, to see who he sees and love who he loves. Jesus raises the bar so that you see it's not just about giving to the poor. God calls us to something better than just being guilted into giving something away. And that in and of itself should be good news to some of us. I mean, Have you ever been sitting at one of those fundraising banquets and everyone's filling out an envelope and you didn't want to really fill out an envelope, but everyone else is filling out an envelope and you just thought, well, they're going to judge me if I don't, so I've got to give something. And so you fill out an envelope. I was in a church in Haiti, in Port-au-Prince a few years ago, and this massive room with thousands of people and the way they take up an offering is they release you in rows the way we do communion, and you come forward, and there's a person holding a basket, and you drop your money as you go by, and you go back and sit down. And the service was all in Creole, so I'm just following along and doing what I'm, what everyone else is doing. And so I go through the offering line, I sit down, and then other things happen, and then they do it again. And I thought we were going to take communion, but instead it was another offering. And afterwards, I asked the guy, I said, uh, it's kind of, kind of interesting, they take two offerings. And he said, no, They don't always take two offerings. They take two offerings when they don't get enough money the first time. (laughs) I mean, how often do we feel like when it comes to giving, we live in a cycle of guilt and trying to measure up to others? And what's beautiful about this passage is Jesus is not trying to trap you into guilt giving. He's trying to set you free from the need to find approval In the eyes of others he wants you to see who he sees and love who he loves giving isn't about your relationship with others who are watching giving is about your relationship with god and it's about forming your heart to see those who we're told in scripture that god cares deeply about and loves who are the needy in your life that god is calling you to look and to see, and to care for? And is your heart shaped in such a way that you're willing to respond? Jesus goes on in verse 4 to say, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Will reward you. And now this is something that if you're like me, being raised in a good Protestant tradition, that uh, rewards seem like anathema to us, right? Right? We don't get rewards. We get, we get Jesus, but we don't get rewards. What's Jesus talking about? I mean, we like rewards when it comes to credit cards and airline miles and store programs, but rewards in our faith makes us a little bit uneasy. What Jesus is saying is what the Proverbs said all those years before, which is we reap what we sow or that often what you get is a continuation of what you've invested into. If practicing your relationship with God is intended to draw you close to God, what happens when what you practice is wanting desire, wanting desiring others to praise you? Yeah, you come close to others praising you. And you know how long that lasts? It's gone like that, right? We practice our faith faith in order to draw close to God. C.S. Lewis said that the proper rewards Are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but they are the activity itself in consummation. The reward for marriage, for getting married, is having a marriage. The reward for getting a job is that you have a job to do. The reward for working hard in school and earning a scholarship is that you get to go to school. And the reward for practicing your generosity is that you're being formed into a generous person. See, the people Jesus is talking about in this text today had wanted the rewards of faith. They had wanted the rewards of a relationship with God. They wanted to feel like they were close to God, but they were play-acting when it came to practicing their faith. And many of us might find ourselves play-acting when it comes to our relationship with God, but then we're disappointed when God's not doing it for us. So if you play act at generosity, you might find that you don't actually have a very generous heart. And if you play act at faith, you might find that you don't have faith at all. Jesus raises the bar and shows that our salvation and our joy and our life Will not be found in what others think of us. In fact, won't even be found in our ability to give correctly, but will be found in the life and the faith and the heart that Jesus gives us. What God desires is for Jesus to transform our hearts, and that includes our generosity. It's not quite accurate to say that no one was watching when Jesus died on the cross to make you and I right with God. But it's close. It's close because on a dark day, on a lonely hill, in the backwater of the Roman Empire, far from any center of imperial power, the God of the universe died on a cross so that he could bear the weight of all of our sins, all of the ways that you and I play at towards trying to have a good life. And in obscurity, God came and redeemed us and redeemed the world. That's good news. That's good news for us. But as we read this text, we might still struggle with, but Jesus said to give, but you, but you can't really give correctly, but you should give to the poor, but there's no way of knowing if you're doing it right. Like What do you, what do you want from us, Jesus, when it comes to generosity? I've had the privilege in my ministry of working around uh, the homeless community and working with churches that are just passionate about serving the homeless and serving the poor. And so what I've regularly bumped up against is really uh, honest, genuine, earnest people asking the question, "How how should I approach it when a homeless person comes and asks me for money? If I pass a homeless person on the street or in the mall parking lot or on the corner of the, of the road, the intersection, they're begging for money, what should I do? And honestly saying, I want to be faithful to God, but I don't know how to handle these awkward situations. And what's funny is you end up getting all kinds of people, right? So on one side of the spectrum, you have the bleeding hearts who they'll give a 20 to somebody for looking homeless. It doesn't matter if they're homeless or not. They're just, you look kind of homeless, so here's a 20. And they want to know and then the other side, you have somebody who just despises the idea of a handout, and they're never going to give someone money on the side of the road, but they honestly want to know, is that, is that right? Is that what Jesus commands? It? What is Jesus asking of us? And, and as I've sat with people, the only answer I can give to this question of what you should do when confronted with people that are asking for money, homeless, the beggars, do what God tells you to do. Do what God asks you to do. And I realize that's not a very satisfying answer. But if you think, what if they are just going to use it for cigarettes? If God says, let them use it for cigarettes, that's your call to respond. If you're a person that goes, I I would never give somebody money, but God's saying, give that person money. I'm not going to ask you to stand on the side of your conscience as opposed to doing what God's asking you to If you don't have any money to give, I don't think God wants you to feel guilty for not giving money that you don't have. If God says, buy him a meal, buy him a meal. And I realize God's not going to audibly do that. What I'm trying to say is, don't feel guilty for feeling like you're responding to what God wants you to do one way or another. The point of this passage is not so that you can walk away knowing how to give correctly every time you bump up against somebody in need. What Jesus is asking of us Is are you listening for the praise of others or are you listening to the call of the Holy Spirit on your life and are you willing to respond are you living a life that's only play-acting at practicing your faith by being generous when others are watching or are you practicing your faith in such a way that God is forming deep within your heart the capacity to rely upon Him and to be dependent upon God, no matter where you find yourself, rich or poor, that you're learning what it looks like to depend upon God. So as you practice your faith, as you live in the world and respond to the call of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would not depend upon the praise of others, nor even on your own ability to be generous, but that you would depend on the lavish generosity and the grace and the love and the freedom of Jesus, who is the King, who sets you free and calls you to a faithful and abundant life with God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we thank you for who you are and for how you love us. We pray that you would be working in our hearts as we consider what it means for us to not be play actors in our faith, but to take you seriously. And to allow the call that you put on our lives to go deep and to transform us and to beckon us into something new and something different in our lives. I pray for all the stuff that we bring into here, that we learn what it looks like to submit it to you. And that as we make our way towards the table, that we we trust fully in you and in your grace to make us new creatures love you and praise you. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Amen.